The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If you would please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Uh, if you haven't read the bulletin article this morning, that is somewhat of an introduction to some things we're going to talk about in the message today. And I'll have to tell you, this, this particular article and a couple of others that I've written over the past few weeks are the response of getting something stuck in you that you just can't turn loose of. You have to talk about, you have to preach about, because it bothers you so bad. So you see some things like this, uh, uh, that's sometimes where these, these things come from. Uh, but uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about things that are in this uh, bulletin article just a bit, little bit later this morning. Our subject today is the Ninth Commandment. We've been studying this for a couple of weeks. The Ninth Commandment from Exodus 20, verse number 16 says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. This is a commandment about telling the truth. It is the divine demand of honesty which bears its witness to the truthfulness of God. I wouldn't want to attempt to rewrite the Bible, but this could just have easily said, Thou shalt tell the truth. Now, in our, in our exposition of this command, I've chosen that we would concentrate a good part of the messages in describing the divine rationale for giving this commandment. God is truth. He is all truth. All truth is God's truth. He's the source of it. He is the divine author of it. And truth is one of God's chief attributes. As one author said, that we are most unlike God when we do not tell the truth. And that means that most people, including Christians, are not as much like God as we pretend to be. Now, although the Scriptures say that we should not lie, the Scriptures also say that all men are liars. And each of us can testify to that. Lying is so common that it is a way of life for us. Often lies are acceptable as truth. We tell lies to get out of trouble. We tell lies to gain advantage over others. We tell lies to change perceptions about ourselves, to make people believe we are what we aren't. They're just endless excuses and varieties of reasons for lies, and often we lie without any pain of conscience. And yet we know that there isn't anything that can survive for very long without the truth. Not your families, not your relationships, not your friendships. Your marriage certainly can't survive without truth. Even our government, which has long been purveyors or is a citadel of lies, and we know that when people can't trust their government to tell the truth, that government won't be long-standing. Now, in the first two messages, we looked at God's truthfulness, and we examined the original intent of this commandment. The 16th verse of Exodus 20 is framed in such a way that it is intended for the court of law. These uh, commandments are a constitution of government for Israel. And so we would expect that God would deal with the judicial system in Israel in a way that would reflect his truthfulness. 
But the intent of this command is to reach beyond what we find in the court of law and we're to take these things, these principles, right down into our very hearts to make a private application of it. And that's where we're continuing our discussion today. Last week it was mostly about that public intention for Israel. But today we're going to reach deeper than the public intention and we want to look at this commandment and its application, its private application for Christians. And the private application concerns the command of both Old and New Testaments that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't expect that non-Christians would understand this in the way that we do because when the Bible speaks of love, that love is founded in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if a person has not been redeemed by the blood of Christ and he's never experienced kind of love that the Bible talks about in, in a personal way. The love of Christ is what flows out of the heart as we obey God's commandments. That's, that's the way that we demonstrate that we are believers. You want to know how you know that you're saved? Well, Jesus told us, 1 John tells us, obey God's commandments. That's the way that we know that we are truly Christians, that we are believers. And the Bible says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it says, how can we love God if we don't love our neighbor? And these commandments are framed in such a way that you can never separate these two things. You can't separate love for God from love for your neighbor. Those things have to go together. Neither stands alone. In Scripture, love equals obedience. Love is always a demonstration. It's never separated from physically acting out what you claim is in your heart. God says, if you obey me, and keep my commandments, that's the demonstration of love. And there's no argument that love can exist in any other form than the actions that it demonstrates between different people, between people. And so, as Christians, we can't be anything less than truthful people. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is one who acts like Christ, and because God is truth, we identify with him only in truth. God requires truth in the inward parts. The psalmist said, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me know, to know wisdom. Now, because, because he requires truth, God's not going to claim you as his child unless you keep his commandments. Now, I want to be very clear with you, anybody that might be confused about this, we're not talking about keeping commandments in order to be saved. There is no righteousness to be found in the keeping of commandments as far as your salvation is concerned. And we'll deal with that issue some more uh, towards the end of the study of the Ten Commandments. But we're talking what, what comes out of that, of that faith that we have in Jesus Christ. The genuine faith that we have in Him is always going to be a demonstration based upon keeping commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now we noticed the, the last time that truth, God gives truth for the community of Christians. That God's people are all part of one big family. The Word of God even drills down more intimately to call those who are members of His church also members of His flesh and of His bones. As a church, we're a body that's been joined together so that we are interdependent. There isn't such a thing as a body that has contrary parts in it. No one can imagine that there's one part of your body that works against another part of your body that tries to destroy it. That can't be true in your body, and it certainly can't be true in the church. 
But, but since we are imperfect human beings and because the church is made of imperfect people, there's always this struggle to overcome the life of lies that we've lived before we came to Christ. It's always a struggle to be truthful at all times with each other. But we have no excuse not to. And God expects that we will. This is why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, or because of what he wrote, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And because of that, he could also write in Ephesians, Wherefore, put away lying, speak truth, every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He also said that we are to put on the new man who's created in holiness and righteousness, that we're to live out of that new nature as we are created new creatures in Christ. So that tells you to be different. It tells you that you must be different or your heart's never been changed. Now, I'd like to continue in this message to show you what a terrible problem that lying is for Christian people. It's not always the malicious lie that troubles it, troubles us. Uh, as I spoke last week, uh, among the body of Christians, we, we, we don't find a lot of malicious lies that are told about one another. But the things that seem to bother us and begin to break down the foundation of, of truth and trust that we have with each other are just petty things. Many times just petty things, just little things that we don't think very much about, we don't pay much attention to. And so they gradually eat away at that foundation of the structure of trust until that structure is decayed and it's finally destroyed. And this is why the Word of God tells us that we need to eliminate all forms of lying because God, as a God of truth, tolerates none of it. The goal of our sanctification is to make us like Christ. And that means to make us in all forms like Christ. Now I'd like to show you that the private application of this command is this purpose, and that is to conform us to Christ. To be truthful as God is truthful. Jesus Christ is the almighty, truthful God. He's not different from the God who gave these commands at Sinai. Jesus said to unbelieving Jews, For had ye believed Moses, and they were always after the law, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me. For he wrote of me. To believe Moses is to believe Christ because he gave the law and that law came from Christ. If the commands then are given to make us like God, then these same commands will make us like Christ. Now first, as we, as we think about this, this uh, command and its private application for our church, for Christians, I'd like to speak to you uh, in general terms. That the church is the body of Christ. It is made up of individuals, you, me, uh, all those of you sitting out there in the pew. We are the individual body parts that make up the church. But the Bible also describes the church as an institution. Sometimes we speak of the church institutionally. And this is the way that Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 16, 18, where he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And when Jesus spoke of church there, he wasn't speaking of a particular church. It's in a certain location. But he's talking about the church in general as an institution, that the church, that he, this, this church that he would build is built upon his truth. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And the faith of the church has to be built upon that solid rock of absolute truth. There are no lies that are accommodated that would allow 
false doctrine to get a footing in God's church. But as we know, Satan is the father of lies, and what he does is some of his most damaging work inside of religious institutions that are falsely called churches of Christ. And so they teach people to believe lies, and while they teach them lies, they teach them out of the very same book that we use. They misinterpret the Word of God. They twist the Word of God. They twist the Bible that we use, and what Satan does is to cause people to think that all people in all church buildings are pretty much equal in value in what they teach. Well, there's a major problem with that, because we know us. I know you, you know me. And we are not like, Berean Baptist Church is not like 95% of churches in the Rona Park, Santa Rosa area. The only similarity that we have with them is we meet in a building. And we have a roof over our heads, but there's not much else that's very similar. We're very much uh, unlike, and that's because our doctrine of salvation is not like theirs. And when churches disagree on the way that a person can get to heaven, that divide, is, it's, it's too serious for us to patch up with doctrinal patchwork. If we don't agree, somebody's not telling the truth. We're wrong. They're wrong. Maybe we're both wrong. Two can't walk together unless they are agreed. But, but that really doesn't seem to matter to many. There's a, there's a council of churches. There's an association of ministers. And they have agreed to disagree. As if it doesn't matter. The church agrees pretty much with the philosophy of the world that truth is relative Whatever you believe, that's okay with me, that's fine, truth is relative, your truth is not my truth, but we can get along, that's fine. And the whole reason for that is because nobody's really concerned about the ultimate authority for truth. No concern about what is that that undergirds what we teach, the doctrines that we hold to, what, what is beneath that, what holds that up. Nobody's really too much concerned about that. Well, the Brian Baptist Church is different because we don't accept that nonsense. We believe that there's a standard that governs all of us. No matter who you are, there's a standard that governs you, and that standard is God's Word. Not only is the standard God's Word, but I can narrow that down just a little bit more to what we've been teaching over these past several weeks, that that standard is the Ten Commandments that are in God's Word. That those Ten Commandments cover, as I said some time ago, Every sin that can possibly can be committed in all the entire world is covered under the Ten Commandments. That is our governing agency. We are not governed by our subjective feelings. I do not care at all what you feel about anything. I care about what God's Word says. His Word is the truth. Jesus says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And anyone who denies Jesus in that statement is not a Christian. And anybody who compromises that statement is not a Christian church. And they can have all the crosses hanging on the outside and all the crosses on the inside. It doesn't make any difference. They're not churches of Jesus Christ. And then when someone says, well, our church tradition is this, and that tradition has no foundation in the Scripture, it's not the truth. One of the five major solas of the Reformation was sola scriptura, which means 
only the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the only authority for the doctrines that we teach. Now, there are others that dabble in subjective opinions, but our church anchors its doctrine in the subjective, or rather the objective word that has been spoken by God. And this is what we intend to do at the Berean Baptist Church in this community, community, and that is to, to be a visible presence here that we're known as a church that is biblical, historical, and confessional. Historical because it is the church that's been built by Jesus Christ upon the foundation of the apostles and Jesus Christ himself upon the prophets. It is confessional because we confess the faith that's once delivered to the saints. And it's biblical because we believe that the doctrines are interpreted by the scriptures alone and that we are Baptists because the first churches were founded on the very same principles as we are. Now, for those that are hostile towards us, and they say that we're uncooperative, and we think that we're the only ones who have the truth, I'll say to that that we're not the dissenters. It's not us that upset the tranquility of those who want to get along. It's those who depart, have departed from the truth a long time ago. Those are the ones that prevent our unity. And that's because the truth is the only touchstone of gathering for us. That's the only way that we're going to get together. It has to be on the basis of the unity of truth. And we only need to read the New Testament to see that this was a problem from the very beginning. When the church first starts out, this is a problem. People departing from the truth. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, really at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, near the end, Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name be it done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And then from that point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told the story of the wise man who built his house on a rock. And that, that wise man that he speaks of is the one who heeds the sayings of Jesus. Today we don't have time to explore all the different theories about what that rock stands for, whether it's Christ, whether it's doctrines of the Word, whether it's the faith in general. We won't need to argue about that. But we will say this, that our faith has to be built on that solid foundation of what Christ says. We must listen to him as wild, as wise builders and not build our foundation on shaky, shifting sands. And then likewise in the epistles, they're filled with warnings about fake apostles and deceitful workers against those, it, it speaks against those who preach lies and subvert the gospel of Christ. And, and this problem was so acute in the first century that the Apostle Paul, might I say, just, just got down and dirty with it. God, Paul got right down in the dirt if he needed to to sling mud with those who preached false, a false gospel. The same types of people who compromise the gospel today. Listen to how strongly that he speaks against it. This is Galatians chapter 1 when he says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Give me that scripture, Joshua, Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But though we are an angel, 
from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Not once, but twice. He said those who preach a false gospel should be accursed. You know, that curse, that's a very, very strong word. The word means irrevocably damned to destruction. Compromisers need not apply for membership in Paul's church. Now, the apostles were dead serious about this problem. And where do you think these false teachers were? Just, just where are they? Jude, the brother of Jesus, explained. Jude, verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, folks, we're talking about people who were in the communion of Christian churches. And in 2,000 years, that hasn't changed. The New Testament is written as a warning to us that false teachers infiltrate the church. They are here now, and they pervert the gospel of Christ. Somebody is lying. Listen further to Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. For such are false apostles... Deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Do you think that the Berean Baptist Church is wrong? Or that I am wrong when I call attention to this problem? I don't do anything more than the apostles did. My language, when I say these things, is often much nicer than theirs. Maybe, maybe I should feel ashamed because I'm not more militant against false teaching than I am. False teaching, folks, will damn your soul to hell. And so why would I ever want to join with people who damn others to hell. That's what we're here for, to try to save people from hell. Now, now let me emphasize here that, that Paul's not talking about Muslims. And, and Paul's not speaking here about animists in Africa. And his thought here is not about the mysticism of Eastern religions. Those are heretics too. But that's not the focus here. His focus is those that are in churches who are false, and they preach false doctrines. And please understand that I'm using the word church very loosely here because there is no such thing as a church except the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not the same as prosperity preachers on TV. We're not fortune cookie preachers with Cheshire smiles and say, oh, God loves you, have a nice day. No, we're a church like John the Baptist with preachers like John the Baptist that teaches people are sinners. That people need to repent and get right with God. We're, we're a church that teaches that God is angry with the wicked every day. And we're a church that says there is no salvation except by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And why do we say that? Because that's the Word of God. Why do we say it? Because it's the truth. And those who differ from that are liars. 
Now, no, we're not the only ones that have the truth. God's the only one who has the truth. And if you have any truth at all, that's been borrowed from God. And so, if what you say doesn't agree with God, then you are a liar. Let God be true, and every man a liar. So we're not a church that says, well, you can do whatever you want. You can just believe whatever you want to believe. It's all good. Now we're the church that repeats the words of Christ in Matthew 16. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You must follow Christ. We're a church that teaches people that get saved, follow Christ. You must deny self. There are no worldly pleasures that are in the cross of Christ. The cross is a place of suffering. Jesus said, you'll be hated by the world. Paul said, it's given in the behalf of Christ to suffer for him. So you're not going to find prosperity preaching in this church because Jesus and the apostles never preached it. We're not a church that says you can do penance to make up for your sins. We're not a church that will tell you to say rosaries, to say the mass, to pray to saints, pay money for relief from purgatory. We're a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he paid it all and that his sacrifice is the only sufficiency of salvation. God is satisfied only in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. We're not a church that teaches that baptism can wash your sins away. We're not a church that says you could do anything, not any sacrament that will bring you salvation. We're a church that says it's what Christ did that matters. It's not what we do, it's what Christ did that matters. And we're justified by faith in him alone. And then you might listen to this as well, that there are other distinguishing marks that separate us from from some churches that also have Baptist on their sign. We're not a church that says that you can be saved and that you can have faith, but that faith does not involve a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord. We're a church that preaches saving faith, which is the only kind of faith that God gives, is a faith that does not fail to make the one who receives it a doer of the Word of God. And so we teach that saving faith is a living faith. It's a faith that changes a sinner from a life of disobedience to a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. Anything less than that is not saving faith, no matter how many times a person has said the sinner's prayer or walked the church aisle or shook a preacher's hand. And then might I also add that we're a Baptist church that says that God is sovereign. And we believe it. We're a church that agrees with Jesus and Peter and Paul that God chose his people before the foundation of the world and that salvation depends upon God's choice, not our choice, or not anything that's foreseen that we have done. It's all dependent upon what Christ has done. We're a church that believes that Christ came, he died to redeem his people. None of his people are going to be finally lost and all that he came to save will be saved. So yes, there's a difference. We stand on the differences. Are those doctrines that keep me out of the National Council of Churches? 
And are those doctrines that make me unwelcome in the local ministerial association? Fine. That's okay. Our answer for it's just a biblical one. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, if you haven't guessed it, that's what I've been doing for the past 30 minutes. If this keeps me away from them, I'm happy to be in the company of the Savior and with you right here in our church. But let me go on and say that Baptists are not perfect. I have to admit this. Uh, there are liars that have crept into the pulpits of Baptist churches. The apostles experienced it in their time. The churches that Paul wrote to all had problems that I'm sure much of it stemmed from the pulpit. I'll give you an example. About 150 years ago, Darwin upset the pulpit of many churches. Good Baptists strongly resisted Darwin because his, his theory of evolution proposed death before man was created and before there was a fall, before all that occurred. When the Bible says that it was through the fall of man that death passed upon all men. And here is your problem. If you get rid of the Genesis account of the fall, then you also have to get rid of the Bible's account of Jesus Christ and what he did in the redemption of man. Theologians of those time, at that time recognized that as a problem, that it would be impossible for them to hold hands with Darwin and with the Bible. But eventually, as Darwin became more popular... Pulpits began to compromise on that. They compromised the Genesis account. And sadly, even C.I. Schofield, who gave us the Schofield Reference Bible that many of you may, may use, and I'm, I'm not saying everything's bad about that, but I'm saying this. It was Schofield who introduced to Christian people the idea of theistic evolution, that there's a gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And in that gap, it's a place for all the eons of time that you need for evolution to occur. Now today, it's hard, it's hard to find preachers that haven't made some kind of an accommodation for the theory of evolution. We're worried that science is going to disprove the Bible. And you'll hear, there is no science for a young earth, and that is nothing but Satan's tactic to obscure scientific evidence. We don't need to deny science to believe the Bible. And we don't need to twist the scriptures to make it align with the prevailing thought of the scientific community. And you know why you never want to do that? Because science, the thoughts, theories of science changes every day. I mean, how many times have you seen the theory of evolution and all the scientists say adjusted because we found this out, we found that out, we found this out. The Bible never changes. The Word of God never changes. You start twisting it now, you'll be forever twisting it trying to make it line up with man. Truth can't change. And honestly, folks, since we're telling the truth, why don't we just say it? Either we believe God tells the truth or we don't believe it. Let's just don't mince the words. Let's just say it. Either we believe it or we don't believe it. And if you don't believe the Bible is truth, get out of the pulpit. You don't need to stand in a pulpit. We're here to preach only one book, the Bible. And if the Bible's not true, then we have nothing at all to preach. At least nothing that depends on God for its source. And thus, without God, it's not true. Now that brings me to the next problem. Recognizing that both can't be true, the modern pulpit, at least they do a little bit of thinking, and the modern pulpit then will do more than lay down the Word of God and just leave it alone. 
Now, in some respects, that might be a little bit better if they just, just leave the Word of God alone. But they don't do that. Instead, now they begin to attack the Word of God. Now you have preachers in pulpits that attack the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. Who would think, I mean, two, three hundred years ago, who, who would think that pastors in Christian churches would debate, is the Bible true? If it came from God, how can there be an error? We're the ones, we're the preachers, we're the ones standing in the pulpit that are supposed to have confidence in God. We're the ones that are supposed to have truth for a dying world, and yet we have pulpits that are busy destroying confidence in the only source of light there is in a very dark world. There are preachers who stand in pulpit, pulpits that undermine the Word of God in every sermon. Are we a church that's different from others? I can take you around Roner Park. I promise you there are very few that believe the Bible is to be literally believed, Hardly any of them think that the Bible is the infallible, unchangeable Word of God, that it came from God, and that it is to believe, be believed from cover to cover. Now, I would say this is one of the most severe violations of the Ninth Commandment. Can you imagine the Israelites stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they wondered between each other, is this Word that Moses brought down from Sinai, Mount Sinai, is that truly from God? R read the whole account. Fear and trembling, a mountain on fire, the quaking and all that goes on. They have no doubt this came from God. And if it's not the Word of God, then there isn't a basis for the Ten Commandments. And there is no basis for every promise and every guarantee that's found therein. All commandments fail if it's not the Word of God. Now let's go into the New Testament to verify that. There's a, there's a big, big promise based upon the commandments. Uh, I, I quoted a moment ago part of it, John 15:10, where Jesus says, If ye keep my commandments. I talked about Jesus said, Keep my commandments. And he says here, Ye shall abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, no, wait just a minute. Is that true? If, if I keep his commandments, I abide in his love. Can I really depend on that? Uh, does it really help me to do that? Uh, am I not to be worried about being ridiculed by the world for obeying Christ? As a preacher, is it worth all the criticism that I receive because I would preach a message like I do today? Let, 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 let this message get out in the community. I can promise you there are going to be more articles in the community voice ridiculing our church. Are you aware that there was just one little simple statement that was put on the church sign out front that caused letters to be written to the editor and a blog poster to issue an indictment that said the Berean Baptist Church, the pastor of the Berean Baptist Church, is an anti-Semite bigot? You know what my statement was? The Jews crucified Christ. Is that worth it? If the Bible is a lie? Now, according to the critics, most or maybe all of the Bible is a fairy tale. A few years ago, the Christian Jesus Seminar came to the conclusion that 90% of the words in the Bible that you see in red that Jesus never spoke, those aren't the words of Jesus. So I follow this book for nothing. 
Did you know, you take out the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and there is no basis to believe anything in the Bible. But amazingly, most of the debate about the Bible is not the Old Testament. Did you know that? Most of it's not the Old Testament. The big debate is over the New. The New Bible translations don't fight over the Hebrew text of the Old Testament. The bone they pick is the Greek in the New Testament. It's the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. That's their big problem. Now, it's not my purpose to get into a translation debate today. I, I just think it's best for us to use the, the King James. But the translation debate shows how much infighting there is over truth of Scripture. So surely, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor must include lying from the pulpit. The religious lie is the most damaging of all. So I don't feel any remorse, I don't feel sadness, I don't feel any reservation, there is no shame about keeping the Brian Baptist Church separate from anybody that perverts the gospel. People that lead others to hell, I'm not ashamed to separate from them. And this is, this is it. What you preach from the pulpit is either going to lead people to heaven or to hell. And only the truth leads people into heaven. Now today I've spoken mostly about the pulpit. That this command forbids the pulpit lie. Next week we're going to finish up with lies that come from the pew. But before I finish this today, I want to speak of one more pulpit lie. Another pulpit lie. This will tie into and carry over into next week's message. This is called the officious lie. Now you can look up that in most dictionaries, look up the word officious, and you'll probably not find a, a good definition that is, is given in a religious context. But an officious lie is one that doesn't necessarily help you. It's a lie that's told to help someone else. In other words, it's a lie that's told for what is called the greater good. But it's okay to tell this lie because it, the result of it will be better if we tell the lie than if we don't. Now, there's an application of that type of lie in an individual context, which we'll get into next week. But now I want to talk to you about the officious lie regarding the pulpit. And that is a lie that's told to help the church. This is what I termed a few weeks ago in the bulletin article, the ministerial lie that's told while preaching. Three weeks ago in the bulletin, if you want to look it up, it was called the ministerial lie. Now let's just keep this one in-house. I can just talk about Baptists now. Because I've heard this used so many times in Baptist pulpits. Does it help the church? And does it excite you when the preacher inflates numbers? Would, 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 it, would you like to hear... Uh, would, would you like to, to hear about efforts in visitation that have produced many, many converts, people that have trusted the Lord? Now, Jorge's not here today. He had to... Well, you can talk to Jorge about what he was doing. He's run time of test he had to do today. He's not here. About a few weeks ago, he, he talked with me and he gave me what, what seemed to be some very discouraging news. And Jorge regularly goes out and talks with people and meets people on the street and talks to them about the Lord. And he told me that in all this time, and all the people that he's talked with, that there's none of them that had showed evidence of faith. And none of them would come to church. Now, would it excite you a little bit more if I said to you, Jorge's been out there on the street, and 55 of the people that he talked to last week came to know the Lord. 
They, they trusted Christ. You might not see any of them. You might not ever learn their names. You might not ever know where they are. But they trusted the Lord. And so the pastor comes and he delivers that information to the, to the congregation. There's no evidence of anything. There's nothing there at all, but that's exciting to people. So many people have come to trust the Lord. And then what about a missionary, one who gives a report, who claims that 2,500 souls have been won to Christ and they're waiting for baptism, but they can't be baptized because there's a drought. We actually had a missionary in India who did that. And when I checked up on him, I discovered two things. First, he was next to the ocean. Secondly, it was monsoon season. But here's a missionary that knew that churches like numbers. Churches bite on numbers. And what they wouldn't like is lots of salvations that are claimed, but there are no baptisms. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Baptist theology, but we believe that nobody gets into the church without baptism. Not saved by baptism, but nobody gets in to be a member of the church without baptism. And so the purpose of mission is to go and preach to people, to see them get saved, to do the Great Commission, to disciple them, make them, uh, take them through baptism, organize them into churches, new churches. And so if you never baptize them, how is the church going to continue? That's the formula for the continuation, the perpetuity of the Lord's church. Philip baptized Ethiopian, the Ethiopian in the desert. And he didn't need to twist his arm to do it. His saving faith caused him to desire baptism. And it was the eunuch who first posed the question to Philip, here's water, what doth hinder me from being baptized? Something is wrong with professions of faith that do not produce a desire to follow Christ in baptism. But there's the ministerial lie. And that lie is told to keep people interested, to keep the money flowing. And thus it's justified. The lie is more helpful to the cause of Christ than the truth. That is the officious lie. I've also heard many ministerial lies that are used in illustrations. One pastor famously bragged about how many sermons that he had preached. Now, kind of give you an idea, in a little bit more than 14 years as pastor here, I preached just about, right around 1,500 sermons from this pulpit. This pastor claimed that he had preached more than 50,000 sermons. Now, he preached longer than me, but at, at my rate that I preach, it would take me 467 years to preach 50,000 sermons. Now, this man, if he preached one sermon every day, for 365 days a year would take 137 years to preach 50,000 sermons. That is a ministerial lie told for effect. But these things are common. It's used in illustrations and sermons. I've heard many of them. Thousands witnessed to, thousands saved, but I suppose they think that people can't think, that people can't figure, people can't do the math, and I suppose they can't. Because we have people flooding to these kinds of churches, many believing that lie. And the pastor stands behind the pulpit and lies to the people for effect. They think it helps people. If somebody can hear this, that look at these remarkable things that you can do if you just yield yourself, if you just go out there and you do this, you can do the same as I did. 
So why do you tell that lie? It's for the greater good. It's to make you believe that you're not doing enough. That if you get out there and you hustle up converts by manipulating them, getting them to say a sinner's prayer and make confessions, you can do this too. But it's a lie. It's a lie no matter who tells it. Even if the preacher tells it, it's a lie. And there is no lie that's going to make you any more like Christ. And I am so frustrated and so angry when I hear this so many times that preachers stand behind pulpits and they do not care that they tell you a lie in their illustrations. Someday, just go check them out. Do the math on some of this stuff and try to figure all that out. See who's telling the lie. This is the practical application of the command. There is a private use for the command beyond what God says to, the Israel, to Israel in the court of law, and it taught them to trust God, to tell the truth, because God is truth. So we get this. Trust the Word of God. Trust it to be the truth in every word that it says, because Jesus is the living Word. Make sure that you can trust the pulpit. You need a preacher that never changes the word, no matter how different that makes us from other churches in the area. Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. And only the truth sets people free from the chains of sin. I encourage you to believe this truth, because it's all the truth there is. God is truth, and the truth is that Jesus saves people from their sins. All people are sinners, and all people need to be saved. Trust this truth. That if you die without Jesus Christ, there's no hope. There are no second chances. Death seals you forever in heaven or hell. You must believe while you are alive or all is lost. Trust this truth. Jesus will save you now. That is right now today. And he will save you for eternity. And you can know that you're saved. And you can leave here today with full assurance that heaven is your home. And that assurance needs never to be taken away. Trust this truth. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And trust this truth, that we want to help you to understand the truth. And you'll be different when you do. Jesus called us to separation. His people are different. And only His people, the people of truth, are going to be in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for truth. Lord, that we can open up this book that you've given to us, that we can read it, and in every word we know that it's going to be the truth. We know, Lord, that salvation is found in Jesus Christ, and this book is given to show us who Jesus is. As Hebrews says in these last days, we learn through Jesus Christ. You sent your Son. That's how we learn. And Jesus is the living Word that we find, find out about Him in the Bible. Lord, help us to be people of truth, that we get, tr get lies out of every part of our lives. And then as we start to look at this subject again next week, that when we get a little bit more personal down into our personal lives, that not just, the, not just what the preacher does, but every person in the pew that we live our lives with lies that we just don't care to get rid of. And to be like you, we have to stop lying in all forms. 
That's what conforms us to Christ. Lord, speak to some heart today. Open someone's heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open their eyes to truth, and may your Holy Spirit lead them into that truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One thing I want to say that we're very thankful for is that across our our country that there are many, many churches that stand for truth. I, I didn't by any means mean to say that the Berean Baptist Church on this corner in Rona Park, California is the only place you're going to stumble upon who has a word of truth for you. Because that wouldn't be true. The Church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been in existence for 2,000 years, about 2,000 years. And he promised that his church would continue until the day that he comes. I don't know when that's going to be. Maybe it's another 2,000 years before Christ comes. And I can promise you this, that in that next 2,000 years, There will be churches that preach the truth of Jesus Christ because he promised they would be here. Now, what what do you do? Well, along with those churches that will be here and however long that it takes, there's also going to be false churches, and they're going to continue to grow, and true churches are going to continue to be infiltrated with them, and so your job is to discern the truth by the Word of God. That's the only thing that you've got to, to tell. There isn't anything else. There's no other criteria by which to judge it. It has to be by the Word of God. So when you hear something that's not in the Bible and it sounds foreign to you, to your faith, back up, scratch your head a little bit, and say, let's get this right before we join with you. Understand? The truth is always going to be there because God promised it would be. It's up to us through His Word to find out who has that truth. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org